Well, this morning, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite psalms, and that's Psalm 91. Psalm 91. We'll read that in its entirety in just a moment. But I don't know about you, but it seems like, like life is getting more hectic all the time. We have a lot of things coming at us from the culture to deal with. We have the, the busyness of life as we think about dropping our kids off at school events, after school events, uh, sports teams. We think of us who have grandkids as well as we spend time with them and try to catch up with their busy schedules and go into ball games. Think of youth activities at church and then even just all of us individually, social outings that we get involved with. And we wonder, all this busyness, is it worth it? And for what purpose will it achieve by doing all these things? Well, despite the circumstances in life, the church with our children, our spouse, and our work, and our family, and sometimes we see that life is very fragile. We see difficult relationships. We know that we can rest on the sovereignty of God. That's a great hope as we think of this great Psalm, Psalm 91. So I encourage you to take out your Bible or take out your device and turn over to Psalm 91, Psalm 91. David is the writer of this Psalm that provides some vivid word pictures for us. David was carrying out a census just before writing this Psalm. He was counting the people because they were causing a ruckus. They were causing a big disturbance and David for whatever reason thought that if he counted the people, it would have a calming effect. It would settle things down. He was looking for some stability and difficult circumstances. So I'm going to read Psalm 91 in its entirety, and I encourage you to follow along. Psalm 91, beginning with verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. In verse 7, it says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Notice, first of all, in this great psalm, that God provides a refuge for his people. God provides a refuge for his people. We see that in the first three verses of this 
psalm. First of all, he provides a place of dwelling. We see that in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's kind of like a home. And a home is a place where we enjoy rest and we bathe in spending time with our family and with God. It's talking about as well a quiet place where we can get alone away from everything in the world and we can pray, we can get into God's word, we can reflect, we can get perspective. He says they're a rock of habitation. In Psalm 71.3, he says, Be my rock of refuge, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Think of it, an anchor that you can hold on to. I remember many years ago, I was with a young person from our youth group, and we were playing golf, and we were outside in New Jersey. And all of a sudden, the skies got black, and we had several holes left to play, and we thought we could finish. And so we were pretty far out from the clubhouse. We were pulling our clubs on a cart, so we weren't in an electric golf cart that you could drive. And I remember that we started to see lightning in the distance. And of course, that's a dangerous thing when you're on a golf course and you have 14 or so metal clubs in your bag. So my friend Tim and I, we scurried as fast as we could to the clubhouse because that was the place of safety. And that's what we need. We need a place, a quiet place, when we are overwhelmed by circumstances, when we're just so busy that we need some time to slow down and get perspective, a quiet place. It says there in verse 1, a sanctuary in a different country as well. That's another description of verse 1. Ezekiel eleven sixteen says, Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, although I sent them far away among the nations, speaking of Israel, and their diaspora, their scattering, and scattered them among the countries. Yet for a little while, I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. That despite the fact that Israel was in captivity, or even after the temple was destroyed and the Jews are scattered, God was still with them wherever they went. I think back in the early 1900s, 19, I think it was around 19. 97 when I took a group of people to Brazil and it was the longest missions trip we'd ever gone on it was 14 days and as we were kind of debriefing and hanging out and just having some fun in Rio de Janeiro before we flew home many of the people on the trip were weary and they just wanted to get home so we see that he provides a place of dwelling a place of safety and a place of quiet. He also provides a place of strength in verse 2. It says, I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Notice it says fortress, refuge. This is an Old Testament concept taken from Numbers 35, where it talks about the city of refuge, several of them that God set up in the promised land so that if somebody accidentally killed somebody, they could go and have a place of safety until a fair trial uh, took place to determine whether they were innocent or guilty of the accusation of being of accidentally killing someone. We think of safe places when we think of that game called tag. Kids play all the time. 
and they have a safe base where they go that they don't have to worry about getting tagged. We think of hide and seek and how if you kick the can, you get back to base, you're safe. We look for safe places and we find refuge, number one, in the word of God. We find refuge in friends with like convictions, brothers and sisters in Christ. We find refuge in a church that's faithful to preach the word of God. We also find refuge in a support group of friends and family who have our same values and views and that we entrust our children to. And then the last one would be just simply our home, our home. People today are looking for places of normalcy, of where they can have a routine of knowing that several days a week we're going to have dinner together as a family. Maybe have Friday night as a family night. Things that are normal part that they can look forward to that are traditional that can be counted upon. There are those few rare places where we can find refuge in this day and time. David knew this firsthand because he was tested by experience. He knew what it was to be chased as a fugitive and have Jehovah only as his deliverer. Have you had a God experience that you knew only Jehovah had delivered you from it? Maybe it was a near car accident. Maybe it was a serious illness. We don't know, but whatever it may be, something that happened that you can't explain, but God showed up and delivered you. And then he provides a place of deliverance in verse 3. Surely God will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will save you from the traps of Satan. Like a hunter, Satan is busy setting traps for each of us. Some of these traps, he takes years to set up the circumstances in this scenario. Sometimes it's the, the slow fate of things where we get involved in pornography or the emotional attachment that leads to a physical affair that ends up in adultery or divorce or financial impropriety. The deadly pestilence, David's trouble he was facing, whatever it may be, we don't know. And it's not described here so that we can fill in the blank for what our situation is all about. I think about the Apostle Paul. And he talked about in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, that he had an affliction, that he had something happening to him, and he prayed three times for God to deliver him and to heal him from this pestilence, this disease. We don't know what it was, but it was something that uh, slowed him down, that affected him. And God never said exactly what it was because he goes on to say in that passage that my grace is sufficient for you. And so we can fill in the blank of whatever we're going through, through the difficulties of our life, and know that, our, that God's grace is sufficient to help us in our time of need. He will provide exactly what we need. And second of all, we see God protects his people. God protects his people. In verse 4 of Psalm 91, he says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. In verse 4, he provides a covering. <clears throat> Think of the picture here, illustration of a mother bird or mother eagle and sitting on the nest. And after the eggs hatch, the mother bird is protecting against storms that occur by sitting 
and the little baby eaglets or birds are underneath her care. There was a time out in Colorado that a wildfire swept through some very mountainous region out there in the Rocky Mountains. And as they walked through to see what was going on, they found a dead bird that was burnt. And as they moved the bird underneath, there were baby birds still alive. The mother took the brunt of the fire to protect her baby birds. So God provides a covering, provides a place of tenderness, of warmth, of security. We think of uh, what it's like to have that tender compassion of newlyweds when they first get married. But then over time, that tenderness and compassion fades. And many have done studies and found out that uh, after seven years of marriage, many people are thinking about um, getting a divorce. But God's never like that. His tenderness, his compassion, his love is faithful to us. It's unconditional and it's always there. God provides a place of defense. God's faithfulness is like a shield and a rampart. That's like a fort or a fortress. So he provides a covering. Second of all, he protects us from emotional and physical pain. Look at verses 5 through 7. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. He talks about the word fear there in verse 5. Fear. He protects us from not only evil, but also from fear. You remember maybe in history, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, after uh, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, in his speech calling the nation and Congress to declare war against Japan, he said there, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul said, For God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. In 1 John 4.18, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We respect God. We honor him. We fear him, but we don't fear the circumstances that are around us. Notice it says in this passage in verses 5 through 7 that he'll protect us from unseen terror by night or seen terror by day. And just remember that God's man or woman is indestructible until his work is done. Even safety from diseases, even life-threatening diseases. And if God doesn't heal us in this life, he will certainly heal us in the life to come. He will protect us against physical attacks. You think of all the battles that the nation of Israel, after they established themselves as a country in 1948, all the battles that they faced, and they've always won those battles even though they were outnumbered. We think of times when circumstances are collapsing all around us. When Satan's darts shoot at us, they fall short because of the believer's armor in Ephesians 6. And it's interesting that the believer's armor, there isn't anything to protect the backside because God does not want us to turn and run away, no retreats. The next thing we see is that God produces results in his people, verses 8 through 13. We don't serve a static God. 
like Muhammad or Buddha. Our God is active. Our God is personal. Our God is involved in our lives. The believers see the destruction of the wicked. It says in verse 8, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. We will not participate in that, but we will sit back and see God's vengeance is taken out upon those who reject him. God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And David had two opportunities to kill King Saul. King Saul was treating him, David, as a fugitive, as a threat, because he was anointed by Saul to be the next king. And Saul was jealous of that. And so Saul had his armies come out after David. There were two opportunities that David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. And he trusted God And he knew it was against God's will to kill the anointed king. So let God be our deliverer. This is sometimes hard for us to do. Another thing under here, it says the believer's safety in God's perfect will in verses 9 through 13. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. We need to make the Lord our dwelling. It's a prerequisite for receiving his promises. It ensures his, his trust of his promises with us, that he will fulfill them in Psalm 90, verse 1 and verse 9. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. He's like the rock that we can hold on to in the midst of the storm that's not going to move. He says there in verse 10, no harm will befall you. No disaster confusing you. Maybe at least there won't be anything that you cannot handle because God will walk you through the storm or take you out of the storm. It says in Psalm 34, 7, that we are guarded by angels. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Notice in Psalm 91.11, it talks about how he guards us. God does. In verse 12, he uses his angels to protect us. I believe that we have guardian angels that we will meet someday when we get to heaven, who God used to protect us and show us things that could have potentially happened, but the angels were there to deliver us, to put a hedge around us. In verse 13, God helps us overcome with the angel's help. We think of Daniel 6.22 when he was in the lion's den. He said, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I I was found innocent in God's sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king, in response to the one that put him in the lion's den. We can never underestimate, we cannot underestimate the spiritual forces that are all around us. In some books that I read a number of years ago, I encourage you to read Frank Peretti's books, Piercing the Darkness is one, and then This Present Darkness. It gives you kind of a fictional idea of potentially what spiritual warfare is going all around us. And then we see the last point here is that God promises to reign in behalf of his people. 
as he finishes out this psalm, verses 14 through 16 of Psalm 91. Because God loves us, because I love you, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. There are three conditions to meet in verse 14. Notice the tense of this passage changes. God is now speaking at the end of this psalm. He says, here's one of the conditions, people that love their God. Number two, people that know God's name. They have a personal relationship with him, an ongoing one through prayer. And then thirdly, another condition to meet is that people continually call upon him in prayer and see their prayers answered. That's how we know that we are connected to God. And then verses 15 and 16, there are three promises to receive. God will be with us through the trouble. He will deliver us at some point out of the trouble. And we have always the hope that God answers our prayers. That's what 1 John says, that we have confidence that if we ask anything, that God will hear us and answer our prayers. God will exalt us and honor us as we honor him. John 12, 26 says, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be, my Father will honor the one who serves me. He promises us in verse 16 that we would have a long and satisfactory life. We don't know how many years that we have to live on this earth, but God promises to the believer an abundant life. He says, I'll show you my salvation in this life and the life to come. Eternal life begins when we step across that line of faith and we accept Christ as Savior. It doesn't begin when we wait until we die and go to heaven. But salvation begins at that point and goes on forever and ever and ever. It's when we come to God and we realize in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have come to faith in him. So here's our application as we close this message today. First of all, realize God's abiding presence with us. God's abiding presence with us. When it gets tough and the circumstances of life are overwhelming, look at the book of Job and see what Job went through. And he said, though the Lord slay me, yet will I serve him. Realize God's abiding presence with us when it's easy. Think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 where he says, I've learned to be content in any and all circumstances whether things are going well for me or whether they're not. And then when everything and everyone is doing the wrong things around you, realize God's abiding presence with you. When you're going through a divorce or someone in your family is going through a divorce, when there's so much peer pressure around you and you feel like you want to give into it, when those around you as a student at school don't share the same values you do, and you're not invited to the parties and the things that they're involved with. When you're at work and you're not involved in the people in people's lives because of the values they have after work, relationships, death, cancer, our own physical limits, all these things, we can trust that God's abiding presence is with us. And we need to change our attitude to know that God is there and he is there for us. 
Another application is realize that there truly is a place of protection. That should come as comfort and peace. We talked about the beginning of the psalm where he has a quiet place, a place of refuge, like under his wing of protection. And we need to visualize that and see that and apply it to our lives. And the third and last application is this. Realize that you can live above the circumstances. You don't have to live under the circumstances. We need to live our lives in confidence that what we believe from the psalm is true. Chuck Swindoll, pastor, says this, One of the marks of spiritual maturity is the quiet confidence that God is in control without the need to understand why he does what he does. Let me repeat that again. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is the quiet confidence that God is in control without the need to understand why he does what he does. May we have that same level of spiritual maturity in our lives when chaos and trouble comes our way. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for David using his ability to write this beautiful hymn, this beautiful psalm. We thank you for all the encouragement that's in it. We thank you that you wrote the last four verses, for our three verses, 14, 15, and 16, to tell us the hope that we have and the promises and what we need to do on your terms to meet the criteria so that you will be the one who delivers, protects us, and cares for us now and into eternity as well. So help us, Lord, to be encouraged. Help us when we face the most difficult things in our life to know that you are the place of refuge. You're the place of protection. You're the place of peace. And that we can run to you and find that quiet place so we can dwell with you. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.